0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jonathan, and I'm uh, working as a French minister here at, at CISAC. And I wonder what's uh, the first word that comes to mind when you think about Jesus right now. Jesus. Thank you. Another one. Jesus. Thank you. Very good. And maybe uh, that word is, is man, because uh, for you, Jesus is just a man. Or maybe that word is, is prophet, prophet, because for you, Jesus is just a prophet or a spiritual leader, just like uh, many others. Or maybe that word is angel or, or creature, because like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, uh, the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons, you believe that Jesus is respectively an archangel, that's for the Jehovah's Witnesses, or a spiritual creature, just like Lucifer. That's what the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons believe. Or maybe you just don't have a word at all because you believe that Jesus never existed, which, as far as I know, no author or historian um, from the first or the second century has ever claimed And you see that the Christians living in Colossae, which is now in modern Turkey, there should be a map for you, in the first century, are influenced by what we could call false teachers teaching false doctrines. And the Apostle Paul, uh, who is writing to the Colossians uh, from prison in Rome, talks about, to describe these false teachers, talks about... Uh, deceptive philosophy talks about uh, uh, human tradition it talks about rules and uh, there's a a line he says in chapter 2 verse 21 this is what these people say do not handle do not taste do not touch chapter 2 verse 21 in other words don't do this don't do that And it's very hard to pinpoint what this false religion is. I mean, but it seems to be like a mixed bag of uh, philosophy, legalism, uh, mysticism, and asceticism. You see, it's like a new kind of Christianity, according to which Christ, Jesus, is important. Don't get me wrong, but not enough. Christ is important, yes. It's not enough. It's a bit as if the gurus of this new religion were saying to the, to the Colossians, look guys, you want to be fully protected from the power of sin and evil in the world? Are you scared of evil spirits or even of death? Well, believing in Christ is important, but that's not enough. You need to treat your body harshly by abstaining from Eating and drinking certain foods. That's what Paul says in chapter two, verse twenty three. Or it could go like this guys, you want to have full access to God and fully enjoy his presence and all his blessings. Don't get me wrong, believing in Christ is, is very important. That is not enough. You need to have visions need to worship angels the mediation of which will bring you closer to god chapter 2 verse 18 and i guess that's what we could call the jesus plus theology have you heard of that theology before jesus plus theology we need you need i need more freedom i need you need more knowledge i need you need we all need more more power why because christ is not enough Now, how is Paul going to respond to that false teaching? Well, my dear friends, I'm glad you came this morning. Because Paul is going to write against that heresy, whatever you call it, by uh, composing one of the most beautiful Christological passages in the New Testament. It's a bit like a poem which is all about the supremacy of Christ in whom all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in this poem, Paul basically says to the Colossians, to you and to me if you're a Christian this morning, but if you've got the Son in your life, if you believe in Him, you've got it all. The Son is supreme. So all we need is Him. I've got three points to help us, help us understand what's going on this morning. First of all, the Son is supreme, is the supreme King of creation. Verse 15 to 17. Uh, from verse 18 to 20, the Son is the supreme King of a new creation. And last but not least, the last bit of a chapter, keep trusting in Him. So first of all, the Son is the supreme King of creation. Look at verse 15 with me, if you may. You see, the Son is just not a mediator between man and God, but God himself. Did you see that in the passage? Look at verse 15 with me. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this verse is often used by um, our um, Jehovah's Witnesses friends to claim that Christ was created at some point in time and can't be God as a result. Have you had that kind of conversation before if one day some friends knock on your door and talk to them about Christ and they say, yes, I know who Christ is. He's the firstborn. He was created. He's a created being. That's actually, there's nothing, nothing new under the sun. This is a very old heresy called Arianism, dating back from the fourth century. But the first thing to say about this verse is that it doesn't say at all that Christ was created. Let's read the verse again. It says that Christ is the, the firstborn, not the first created. That's difference. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think part of the answer lies in the Old Testament. Um, if you if you uh, turn to or uh, listen with us, Psalm ninety eight, verse twenty seven. I think that's a key verse to help our Jehovah's Witnesses friends to understand what firstborn means. Look at this verse with me. That's fascinating. In this psalm, the Lord God promises that He will appoint His king, the Messiah. To be his firstborn, which doesn't refer to the first child of the family, but to what? Look at the parallelism. The psalm works often in parallelism, you see. The second part of the psalm explains the first. And this is what it says. And I, God, will appoint him, my king, to be my firstborn. Now, I wonder, what is that firstborn all about? Answer in the second part of a verse. The most exalted of the kings of the earth. Did you notice the parallelism? Firstborn equals king of the earth. Firstborn equals king of the earth. So when Paul says that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, he doesn't say that Christ was created at all, does he? What he says is that Christ is the supreme king of creation, which is confirmed by the rest of the text in Colossians. Look at verse 16 and 15 with me. 16 and 17, sorry. For in him, in Christ, all things were created. All things have been created through him. And for him. That's not it. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. If the son is the supreme king of all things, that means there's nothing and no one above him. That's what supremacy is all about. You may have heard of Hudson Taylor one of the greatest Christian figures in the history of the church. And I love this this quote. It should come up on the screen. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Is Christ your Lord this morning? Is he your Lord and God? If not, and if you want to know God, well, the good news is that Christ is enough. Christ is enough to know God because he's supreme. All you need is him. All you need is him. When I grew up uh, uh, in, in France, I spent most of my life in France, actually. We came back to Australia five years ago. I used to watch a lot of TV, unfortunately. Or oh, fortunately, not sure how to look at it. And I still have these terrible commercials, like stuck in my memory, dating back from back in the days. And I still remember this uh, commercial, singing the praises of a very special coffee, which was apparently, I've never tasted it, I mean, when I was a kid, which was so tasty that you didn't need to add more than one spoonful to enjoy it. I still remember it in French. Ce n'est pas la peine d'en rajouter. It's not worth adding anything to it because just one spoonful is enough. You don't need to put two three spoonfuls. One is enough. And you see where I'm going, I guess. No illustration is perfect. But in the same way, the son Christ is so divine, my friends. His words are so tasty. If you don't believe me, read Christ's word in the Gospels. His word is so tasty, so good for you, that you don't need to add anything to it. Another way to put it is to understand this extremely complicated mathemat- mathematical formula. Have we got any math people around? Good. I need your help for that one, please. Jesus plus nothing equals. That's hard, isn't it? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You've got everything in the sun. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's not from me, by the way. That's a a book called Jesus plus nothing equals everything by Tulian Chivijan. If you're going to go to Korong this week and get this book, I strongly recommend it. So, so can you see because of who Christ is, is all we need, is all you need if you want to know God. But the good news is that Christ is all we need to know ourselves. You see, is all we need to find the security that you might be looking for in this world. He is all you need to find the identity we lost when we cut ourselves from our creator and that we are desperately trying to find in this world. And you might know that great quote by Augustine, one of the greatest church fathers of of church history. There must be a a slide for us. God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You have made us for Yourself, O oh Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in You. So are you looking for your identity in this world? Are you looking for, for, for security in this world? Well, if that's the case, I think your heart will always be restless. you always be disappointed frustrated or maybe scared of evil spirits or even death because you're looking in the wrong place. If you build your identity and your security on how you look, for instance, uh, you see your your physical appearance, your weight or your shape, what will happen to you when everything goes pear-shaped? Will you lose your identity, if you suffer from anorexia, which is a a terrible condition, my dear friend, you need help. Eating disorders can break and destroy your life. God loves you as you are. Talk to your GP about it. Don't let your self-image be determined by how you look or about, about what people think of you. God loves you as he made you, as you are. If you build your identity on your career, on, on, on your work, I mean, what will happen to you when you cannot work anymore because you're sick? because you retire retired or unemployed, will you lose your identity? Or if you build your identity and your security on money and all the material possessions you have, I mean, what will happen when, when you can't buy the latest iPhone or whatever you want? I was so disappointed last week, I couldn't get myself a new Samsung. It was too expensive. I mean, $80 a month, <laughs> I've got a $22 deal. I, I, do they expect me to pay $80 when I've got a $22, $22? But That's okay. I can live with my old Samsung J2 Pro and his broken screen. That's okay. Our identity doesn't depend on our iPhone or what we can get. Does it? If you look for your identity, your security in this fragile, futile, and fleeting world, where nothing lasts, where everything is a breath. Maybe you will be able to relate to what Bono sings in this great U2 song. There should be a slide for us. Do you know Bono, the U2 singer? Come on. There should be a slide for us. Thank you. Yes. Ah, okay. And I still haven't found... What I'm looking for... Okay, I'll stop singing for us. You will still be looking for something you haven't found. But the very good news, and I guess the liberating news, is that if you come to God, if you come back to your Creator in repentance and faith, if you believe in His Son, you will find what you're looking for. And so much more, which leads us to our second point. First of all, the Son is the supreme uh, king of creation. Secondly, the Son is the supreme king of a new creation, verse 18 to 20. Look at verse 18 with me. In the second part, Paul is saying that the Son, Christ, is the king of a new creation, which he refers to as the church. That's fascinating. Look at verse 18. And he, Christ, is the head of a body. The the church is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And as you know, in the Bible, the church is not a building like this one, even if it's, it's quite nice, actually. What is the church all about? Well, it's you and me. It's God's people. It's God's family, it's God's body, of which Christ is the head. That's why in our church, we don't believe that the Pope is the head of the church, but we believe that that Christ is the head of the church. And the Pope is is a wonderful and a great man, but we, we believe that Christ is the head of the church, the head of his people, the firstborn among the dead of the new creation, the first who is eternally risen not to die again. And like Lazarus, remember, in the Gospels, who died, was risen to life, and to died again one day. And you see, it's through Christ's death and resurrection that all things can be reconciled to God, at peace with Him. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether... Things on earth or things in heaven? By making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Now, this verse doesn't mean that all people will be saved. That's what we call universalism. That's not what we believe. But that the creation would be reconciled to his creator. You see, the Bible teaches that after God's judgment, the whole creation has been subjects subjected to to frustration since the fall, will be free, uh, liberated from his bondage to decay and restored to its original order and harmony. Justice will be done. And the children of God, you and me, if you're a Christian, will be saved for the death and resurrection of Christ on their behalf. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful news. And if you're not a Christian this morning, this good news can be yours. So because of who the Son is, we can not only know God and know ourselves, but we can also be reconciled to God and to others. Christ's death and resurrection is all we need, is all you need to be forgiven because Christ paid the price of all our sins, past, present, present, and even future, he paid the bill, he cancelled our debts, wiping the state clean. So, can I ask, where is your identity today? Where is your security? If it's in Christ, if you belong to Him by faith, there's nothing you can do to be more forgiven. Want to be more loved than you are already now. God loves you, loves you, the way you are. He loves you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. And as the king of a new creation, the good news is that Christ is all we need to know God and to be reconciled to him. As the supreme king of his new creation of a church, Christ is the only one who... Cl- Include us in his church, in his body, in his temple, in his family. If you believe in him, your identity is in him. You are now, as we speak, a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. And I wonder, I wonder, if we are really aware, if I'm really aware, myself, of who am I in Christ of my true identity, which leads us to our our final point and our final application. What are the consequences of our reconciliation with God through Christ? If Christ is the supreme king of creation, if Christ is the supreme king of a new creation, what are we supposed to do? Well, the answer, I think, is in verse 21, 23. Keep trusting in him. If Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is all about Christ, the following section, verse 21 to 23 is all about who we are. Did you notice this little word who came at least five times in three verses? You, 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 your, your. Before, verse 21, you were alienated from God, separated, cut off. But now, now, today... God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. For what purpose? In order to present you holy, set apart, clean, special in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Knowing who Christ is and knowing who you are in Christ. I mean, why on earth? Why? Would you move from the hope of the gospel that you have to turn to something else or to someone else. Imagine that this building uh, is on fire. Quick, we must run. And that's, we've all been rescued by the firefighters. Just one for a second. Maybe close your eyes if that helps. Imagine this building is on fire. And as you watch the church burning from a distance, maybe on Turak Road or on on Bowen Street, 100 meters away or 200 meters away, a member of a church next to you is telling you, oh, wow, I would love to come back into this building. That would be great. I said, what? The firefighters have just saved your life. And you want to go back into the fire? Yes. Love to. It would be great. Uh, what would you do, do? What would you do that for? And I know it's an absolutely crazy, okay? I know. But I've got a point. That's what many people do spiritually. That's what many people have done in history spiritually. After being apparently saved and rescued from the fire of God's judgments and brought into the safety of His kingdom, some people decide to go back inside the fire. And my dear friend, if that's you this morning, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. But can I ask, what happened? What happens? And what can we do as a church to help you come back with us to the Father's house? Maybe you know someone who left the faith, who abandoned the who gave up on Christ. What can you do to help them, listen to them, pray for them, be gentle with them? And if you're tempted to give to give up on Christ for whatever reason, to move from the hope you have in Him, what's tempting you today, this morning? And what can we do to help you in your struggle against temptation, against sin, which is the norm of Christian life? I struggle with sin myself. I've struggled this week with sin myself. The Christian fight, the Christian life, sorry, is a fight, isn't it? It is a good. It is a good fight. It is a a fight of faith. But you know what? We can fight together. We can fight. You are not alone. And that's why God created the church, you and me, so we can meet together to encourage one another every week on Sunday morning or several times a week. And if you're not part of a discipleship team or a Bible study group, please join us. Or catch up with someone during the week. Have lunch together. Have dinner together. Create a WhatsApp group. You see, as members of a family, of the same family, of assembly, we need one another. I need you guys. So if you're a Christian this morning, how are you going in your faith? If you're treading water, if you're struggling to grow, to read your Bible and to pray, could it be, could it be? Because we've got a wrong view of Christ. A wrong understanding of his true identity and as a result a wrong understanding of our true identity. A false image of ourselves which tempts us to build our identity on something else which will destroy us one day. As Jim Packer once wrote uh, I love this little quote by Jim Packer. If we have Sorry, if we are pygmy Christians, it is because we have a pygmy Christ. If we are pygmy Christians, it is because we have a pygmy Christ. And the only way to be a giant Christian, in a way, is to have a giant Christ. To understand who he is. And to keep trusting and obeying him. You see, perseverance in the faith is the way to grow, and the way to go. I'd like to finish with the last illustration, which is a a true story. A few years ago, a woman was talking to a man she didn't know in in the swimming pool of a big hotel, a bit like this one, I guess. And when she got out of the water to join her friends, she was on holidays with them, the friends told them, so, what did he tell you? And the lady says, what do you mean? Who? What do you mean who? George Harrison. You spent more than an hour talking to him. On that day, this woman, without knowing it, had talked to George Harrison, the youngest member of the Beatles, one of the greatest musical uh, musicians in, in in the history of rock and roll, a musical giants. Now, imagine if this woman were to meet George Harrison again. How do you think she would feel? And what would she like to do? Hmm. I don't know. I guess we can only guess. But maybe she would be nervous. Oh, George Harrison, come on. Or maybe she would like to talk to him. Maybe she would like to listen to him. Just to get to know him a bit better. What a privilege to be able to talk to George Harrison. In the same way, do you realize who Christ is? Not just a man, not just a prophet, not just a creature, the king of creation, the king of a new creation. Doesn't that make you want to talk and listen to him? To read his word, to get to know him better, to grow in your faith in him? In the hope of his return, and in your love in love for him. Let's pray to finish. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of creation, the King of a new creation, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes so that we see who Christ is and who we are as a result, and that we would keep trusting in him. In his name we pray. Amen.